Hey there, Maroons Dagon. This is Inyash. Nailed it. Hey, Inyash, this is Steven. Steven, uh, is Maroons Dagon something from a Lovecraft thing? It's, uh, I mean, might as well be. It's from Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Okay. Uh, well, and I guess other Elder Scrolls, but that was the big entity god that they were trying to summon the whole time, which you uh-huh. almost stop and then comes through anyway. Oh! Okay, yeah, Dagon is, uh, I believe, the the lord or god of the fish people. So, uh, at least in Lovecraft. Oh, that's I have awesome. no idea who he is in Skyrim. Uh, big, red, angry dude. Okay. Um, the Daedric princes are all, they've all got their own business. So, you can't kill him because he's too big and strong, even though I thought you could the first time I played, because I'd leveled up my character so much and had, like, reflect damage enchantments on everything. Mm-hmm. So, I thought you just hit his toes till he died, but no. Um, okay. Fun fact, uh, Patrick Stewart plays the king in that game who dies like in the opening 20 minutes. Oh, neat. And he gives you the amulet to take to his bastard son because these people are trying to kill his entire bloodline because only his bloodline can stop this demon entity uh, from ruining the world. Do you get to sacrifice his bastard son and use his blood to to make a sword or something? No, he gets to do it because he's a hero. Ah, well, then what's the point of being you and not him in the game? Well, you get to do hero stuff to help him. But the fun thing is that he's played by uh, Sean Bean. Oh, cool. And so yeah, he, he really should have died then. Well, he does. He has to sacrifice his life to to take out the Mayrunes Dagon. But, um, Excellent. you know, because he's Sean Bean. So it really sounds like this game has the wrong protagonist. I mean, all he you, you run around doing all the cool shit. and He just stands there waiting for you to help him. Like, it'd be really boring to play as him. I mean, just get rid of the person that runs oh, around yeah. and does you the could, cool shit you could be Have uh, him yeah you be the, the bastard and you run around doing the cool shit the fun thing about elder scrolls is that like the protagonists at least from morrowind on are nobodies um they're secretly somebodies and it's awesome but the thing is they can be anybody and so like there's nothing about like you have to be the son of the king or something with magic blood no you're just the you're just this random prisoner Plus, since you can pick your race, it'd be weird if you chose a lizard, but they didn't want to get Patrick Stewart to play anyone but a uh, regular muggle. So as far as I know, even in Elder Scrolls, the muggles can't breed with the lizards. Anyways, all of that is neither here nor there because we're doing something else entirely. What is it that we're doing? Well, lizard fucking isn't totally off the table. Um, so we're here <laughs> talking about this is our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where we discuss Alexander Whale's web serial, Worth the Candle. Indeed, and we have a Patreon where you can support us doing this. They they also have a Patreon for Alexander Wales. And by they, I mean the people who love Alexander Wales and his support crew, which is probably him. Um, I, I assume he, it's just him, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's probably yeah. just him. No, nobody hires Patreon. someone to make a Patreon. Yeah. yeah. Two episodes ago, the, um, the Patreon episode came out a half day late. And since, you know, it's only one day ahead of the non-Patreon episode, that means it's, you know, half of the bonus time was was just gone. Uh, that was because I ran out of time. I had a heck of a whirlwind day and I posted on the Patreon, hey, sorry about this. It's a little late. I'll explain to you guys what happened next episode. And then the next episode came and went and I didn't explain anything because I forgot to do that. I uh, actually explained it to you before the show, uh, but the microphone was not running, so nobody else knew, and I broke a promise. I guess it wasn't really a promise. I didn't do what I said I would do. My girlfriend, Charlie, who lives with me, uh, was looking to buy her own place, and so on Thursday of that week, I was at my mom's place. Uh, This was the day after we had recorded, and my mom's a realtor here in uh, Denver. A very good one. Oh, thank you very much. 
Uh, and uh, I told her, yeah, you know, I guess we're going to be looking for a place. Here's like the ideal things that we'd like to look out for. If you can just sort of keep your eyes open, let us know if you see something kind of like this on the market so we can get a feel for, you know, where things are looking, how much they're costing, what this process is going to be like. She said, sure, no problem. And then the next day she called me in the morning and was like, hey, this place looks almost exactly like what you want. Uh, you want to go check it out? I said, yeah, okay. I went and looked at it and I was like, I, I think this works. And I called up Charlie. Charlie went over and she was like, yeah, this is this is really good. We should put in a bid. And uh, the next day, like they accepted our bid and like it was just a whirlwind of getting everything done. So uh, in a matter of two and a half days, we went from eh, maybe we should look to for a place to um, being under contract. And uh, that is why the episode was a bit late. I ran out of time to do anything with, can, with I, non-house I can, buying stuff. I can scarcely think of a better reason. And as somebody who was house hunting for two months... I am both overjoyed and very jealous of you. Um, it was crazy. Never seen something like that happen. No. And like you guys didn't have to go that much over asking. And uh, it seems like a, it seems like a sweet place. She sent me the address um, or like the Zillow link or something. And mm. uh, really look really cool looking. Um, yeah. We finally, I don't know if I, it does. I, my stuff isn't interesting. We looked for a couple months finally basically threw in the towel on finding a place that exists and bought a place that doesn't. So we signed for paper. We signed our papers a couple weeks ago and our house should be ready in like nine months. So that's a cool way of putting it. Gave up on places that exist. So we bought one that doesn't. <laughs> it, it seems promising. Yeah. We got to walk through a, a show, a show house of one that does exist. So congratulations to you too. That is awesome. Well, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. It's 25 minutes Southeast of me, which uh, puts it, quite the trip from your place but you'll have to come over and we'll do game night every third visit at my week or my place or something so sure that sounds awesome see you there next year when we're all moved in and settled heck yes oh yeah next year could be a joke because it's the 29th of december i mean like in a year (laughs) (laughs) i and i understood you meant like in a year because yeah it takes a while like they haven't even broken ground in your place right uh no yeah so it'll be a while yeah i mean it's just dirt Mm mm-hmm but okay, so we have um, talked about our news. So shall we get into talking about the reading and also the other things that we wanted to talk about before we start the reading? I'm going to waste people's time with two more quick things. One, Excellent. we're 15 minutes late to sit down to record because as I was taking my dinner dishes downstairs, I stepped in a puddle of water and my sink is leaking. Um, I didn't diagnose the issue yet, but I did turn off all the water. So helpful reminder to everybody, know how to turn off the water in your house. Um, yes. above your water heater, you should have like a master valve that turns off all the water, but, uh, every under every sink and, um, all that business, there's little dials and you can, you, everyone become familiar with those. Um, so I just turned those off, mopped up the nice half inch of puddle that was sitting underneath the sink and, uh, I'll fix it later. I mean, it's the kind of thing that can wait till tomorrow. And I imagine a contractor will charge half as much to come out during business hours than they would now. So, Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'd wait until tomorrow if I can't figure it out. Um, Second thing is, uh, I didn't. so I mentioned like last week, you know, we had three short chapters. And I was like, oh, that's okay, I'll be busy with Christmas or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, I finished reading on Saturday afternoon because uh, we had Christmas canceled last or this whatever weekend. Oh, no. Oh, it's fine. I'll explain. But we we did Friday, Christmas Eve at my wife's parents' place. That was a lot of fun. Hmm. The plan was to stay in Fort Collins on Friday and then do Christmas uh, at my parents' house that morning. But my mom tested positive for COVID that morning. 
um, mm. on Fridays. So uh, she's triple vaccinated. She'll be fine. And we talked for like, I don't know, half an hour yesterday, I think. So it's been, what, four or five days since her positive test. And I think she cleared her throat once. Like she's, it. you know, this is what yeah. COVID's like when you're triple vaccinated. So get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Um, get vaccinated. I, oh, that reminds me of the last thing. So I've been like trying to get booked, you know, safe ways around the, you know, 15 miles from me. It's all like three weeks out. So finally it's Googled COVID tests near me. And I think at like the municipal center, there's like drive-through boosters nice. and they didn't have any for today, but they must've had like 150 for tomorrow. Like they had like eight to 12 every 15 minutes. Nice. So I'm going to drive through there at lunch tomorrow and get a shot. So if cool. you're sitting there and putting it off like I was, cause it's like, fuck me. I don't want to get on a three week waiting list. Who knows what I'll be doing, you know, Thursday, the 12th or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, try and find a faster one. I'm actually getting mine uh, before game night uh, by like six hours. Hopefully I'll <laughs> not be, not be hurting yet by the time it starts. I'm doing a day in six hours. We'll see how I'm feeling on Friday. Yeah. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'll power yeah. through. Right. You Last guys will time, steal all of the resources or whatever because I'm going to be out of it. It's I don't mind taking all your resources for myself <laughs> <laughs> when when they're little blocks of wood. That's right, and money. And that's true, but as long as the money is you know little plastic coins. Oh, I think oh, these good. are metal thought, coins, actually, aren't they? I thought you were still my real money. All right, we're going to go into the weeds. Point is, hope everyone had a happy and safe holiday. And yeah. my mom was I I'm. Now I'm rambling after I said I'd move on, but she called and she was really upset. She felt bad. Like she had somehow ruined the holiday or something. I was like, are you kidding? You fucking saved the holiday. Hmm. Like my grandma's like 87 or 88. She's been on oxygen for like 10 years. Like let's not give her COVID. Right. Exactly. No, my mom saved the day by, you know, being tested, being responsible and being honest about it. Uh, I wish everyone I knew was as cool as that. So, yeah. All right. Uh, well, before we get into the actual text text, we do have one comment from the gallery, which I wanted to <laughs> open with. I can hear our audience rolling their eyes because they're like, it's been 10 minutes. Why are you guys not talking about the book yet? Oh, oh, well, they'll horses, be folks. lucky if we get to the book today. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we'll get there pretty soon. This uh, comment is from The One Butcher on our Discord, who uh, made a comment about... Uh, how the last episode ended with june saying that amaryllis is physical perfection and he chose someone else because of personality (laughs) which oh man yeah that's that's true and when you put it that way uh he says that is the ultimate burn and amaryllis wanted to flee from that conversation and then he starts talking about how he might go to grack next (laughs) just wow like wow how do you not feel awful if you're amaryllis uh, the one butcher says he should have immediately talked about the violation he felt when he saw Amaryllis. It was horrifying s- to see you. Someone had read my mind, not just like a book, but deep enough to craft a vision of perfection. And not just my thoughts on general aesthetics, but all my most private thoughts and fantasies had been laid bare before them. I was like, yeah, see, see, that's th- this, this, this butcher guy is really good at knowing social stuff. Cause that is a great way to phrase that. That'll make someone, you know, not feel bad. And, uh, Rather than, you know, maybe I'm going to go sleep with the dwarf next. 100%. Yeah, I was thinking that he should have just at least explained, like, or, you know, been conscientious of the fact that she would know that the DM, you know, crafted her for him. But he could have yeah. explained, like, you know, I also feel weird about that. And that's a really good point. And mm-hmm. I like you and I were like, you know, I wonder why she wanted to get out of the conversation so fast. That was weird. Well, you know, this this one butcher, I know it's that one butcher, but mm-hmm. um, 
this butcher over here was <laughs> nice enough to point out exactly that. It's like, well, no shit, dude. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, sure, you're physical perfection, but Fen was fun and, you know, fuck it, maybe, maybe Grax open, you know? Uh, yeah. Like, of course, she's like, okay, well, the first time I let myself, you know, emotionally get invested, somebody says that I'm not cool enough to date despite being perfect. Uh, I'm going to nope out of this conversation. Yeah. Mystery solved. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Let's get into the deeper mystery of what the heck is going on in Leo. Yeah. And it's a, that's a good segue because the temple is a deep mystery in that it's buried underground. It is. Yeah. Uh, He, June wants to get into this place, but he has to go through security first, which is, you know, kind of fun. And uh, as you pointed out, that if he had walked through without uh, doing his research and reading off some blood, he would have exploded like the guy at the end of Blade, (laughs) (laughs) which was a great visual. And do people still see this movie? Do the youngins see that? Because this is a very old movie at this point. Everyone, well, people forget this movie was made. Everyone's like, oh, look, the first black superhero. Oh, look, the first R-rated Marvel movie. And this was both of those in 1999. Yeah. So go enjoy it. It stands up really well. The CGI sucks, but that's not the point. It's Wesley Snipes in his prime. And and Stiffendorf looking absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It was a great, it was a great time. Yeah. But yeah, so he had to drain some of his blood and put it in Ziploc bags uh, <laughs> in a fridge back at Bethel. Mm-hmm. And I mean... You know, he goes over it with a uh, security attendant, but she's like, all right, time for the soul exception, soul inspection. And he's like, oh, I have an exemption. <laughs> and it's like, Bill, that's sus as fuck. And he's like, yep. But, you know, here's the paperwork. Yep. And if Double someone checked. looks my soul, they'll probably die. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I don't die because of things that are classified. Right. Reasons. It's extremely convenient. <laughs> but, you know, you, you get you live in a crazy magical world and you have this, you know, double checked proper uh paperwork and i guess i guess you let him through yeah that's probably not the weirdest thing she's seen all week right at one at some point you're like okay i guess it's not my job and the paperwork checks out what can you do yeah uh so as june is uh thinking about about herb basically and all the all the stuff he's run into it and in it he says that a lot of what is in Arab is things that he's done before but also things uh he hasn't done before and hadn't seen but like he sees his fingerprints on them he says there's so many things that seemed like they had been made in anticipation of what i would do in the future and we both pulled this out for the exact same reason uh where we both found that this might be like a clue that real life june maybe survived past that fifth period class where he was passing a note and continued on to make a bunch of other stuff and all that stuff is an herb too it does Seems to to support the idea that the DM is future June. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if not just the maybe not the DM, but the the source material, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the DM is like I don't know, a shrink or a friend or something. There's some third third party mediator. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's another piece of the puzzle, man. Heck yeah. So, anyways, um, he is thinking as he's being taken down, uh, well, as he's in this deep place where none of his allies can help him and all of his magic has been disabled and he doesn't have any of his equipment, that this was a perfect time for an attendant to take me into a room where I would be instantly killed by something nasty. And, like, again, we, we both pulled this out and again for the same reason, because 
it's it's a very valid fear that any real person would have, right? Especially a real person that had a lot of people trying to kill them a lot over the past several months. But I mean, like in real life, you should totally look out for that. But June doesn't really have to worry, I don't think, because he's in a game or a narrative of some kind and just killing the main character by an uncountable ambush is extremely lame. It's very unfulfilling. And it's absolutely what you want to do if you're actually going to kill someone in real life. You you don't want them to know you're coming. You don't want them to have even the slightest chance to fight back. Just, you know, they walk into a room, boom, they're dead. But uh, it's, in a narrative, there's always got to be some some way for them to have theoretically been able to avoid that fate. And uh, I don't think he's going to get good fellowed, so he, he shouldn't have to worry about that very much. Yeah, you know, in Pulp Fiction, John Travolta gets shot to death on the toilet, right? Or no, wait, yeah. he was coming out of the bathroom. Um, but same thing. He right? was coming out, yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. landed on the toilet, though. That's right. Um, you know, that's what's funny is that, like you said, you know, in real life, this is exactly when you kill somebody. This isn't how June will be killed if he gets killed. But like the second that he starts counting on that, he will absolutely be killed. Ooh, that's a good point. Like he can't be like, nope, this would be a boring time to die. I can let my guard down. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because like later when he's being carried out, he's like, this feels like a trap. I was thinking he could have touched base with Bethel while being transported. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'd be, uh, whatever, unable to respond to external threats for like the minute that that takes. Yeah. And if he reasoned to himself, like, well, they won't kill me while I'm unconscious because that'd be boring. Like, they would absolutely <laughs> kill him while he's unconscious, right? Yeah, he'd wake up dead. Exactly. So he, he, I think, wisely just tried to handle it himself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, it, this is, so, he can't look at this thing. Otherwise, it'll, it'll fuck him over. But we can, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. th- same thing later. Um, I forget what it was. It might have been. The same fight doesn't that I mentioned, but it doesn't matter. There's the line that was Raven seemed to have faith in me to pull some Utherian stunt uh, to get out of trouble. And I was thinking I was kind of fucked. Uh, like, that's a valid concern if if this was anything like real life. But him dying in a cutscene would be immensely unsatis- unsatisfying. So we can pretty sure it won't happen. You know, that's a very good point. He kind of has to think about it because if he doesn't, he gets fucked by it. And like, we would have wondered, hey... Why is he not at all worried about an ambush? This this is kind of unrealistic. So, like, just to maintain some realism, he has to he has to at least comment on the fact that he could be totally ambushed and fucked right here. Otherwise, we'd be like he's acting like an idiot, and we know he's not an idiot. Yeah, no, it's great. I I just love the juxta- the the not double standard, not juxtaposition exactly. Kind of the paradox of the fact that he has to be aware of this because mm-hmm. it'd be boring for us if he wasn't. But he can't count on it because he'd be fucked if he did. Yeah. And like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's one thing that drove Uther crazy was he just realized like, oh, look, I can lean on narrative a hundred percent. And like, I actually can't be killed. Like, you know, maybe something insane like that was going on in his life. Um, It's not clear that June's playing by the same rules, but uh, you know, I don't know. I I could imagine a time where, you know, if Uther was feeling particularly um, nihilistic that he just like threw his sword down and let somebody try and kill him. And like mm-hmm. the guy just fell and stabbed himself. Right. <laughs> I don't think that would have happened. I think he would have gotten fucked really hard in some way, even if it didn't kill him. Like the DM would have been like, Oh, you're not going to play my game. All right. Uh, your wife gets cut in half. Suck that. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe that's what happened. Right. But like, he didn't get killed. Like maybe he actually can't. 
Mm. So, you know, every, every like the couple times he tried, something else fuck, got fucked over. But, you know, enough to so get him to, to knock off the, you know, quit goofing around and, and stick with it. But yeah. And then you realize that you have to play this game because your loved ones are being held hostage by God. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder he went crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm very sympathetic towards him. Yeah. All right. Uh, where are we? Oh, we're heading downstairs. Yeah. So he like gets to sit in the nice waiting room. There's a pretty walk. And then he receives the cer- he receives the ceremonial boop with the magic stick and becomes a vib- and becomes a vibration mage. Woohoo! So easy. And also, like these these assholes, they could make everyone in the world a vibration mage just by booping them. But they're like, no, you must pay us millions of dollars, and we will have it locked away in a room. It's kind of douchey. Was there not some other cap on it? Like there can only be X vibration mages or something? No, I don't think so. Oh. It was just, we have the booping stick, and we're going to charge a lot of money for it. I mean, I would too. Vibration magic is dangerous. I wouldn't hand everyone a gun. I would sell guns, right? Um, um I, it, I It's know. hard to justify either way, I guess, but like, I don't if, know. If guns like, take a manufacturing process, they're not free to make. If, if you could just boop someone and they <laughs> have a gun... <laughs> I guess I guess if you have the the booping stick, then you can ensure that you have it and you can still give it to people who pass the tests or whatever. But if someone else took it because you were being flippant by giving everyone a boop, then they could hold it hostage and just give it to their group of villains, right? Yeah, I I guess so. It just really strikes me as kind of douchey. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, an artificial it's, scarcity thing. Oh, it was the velocity mage where the the limit was you had to go faster than the previous velocity mages. Yeah. Okay. See, that's, that's a cool limit. That's a, that's an awesome limit. Yeah. There's gotta be something up with this. Cause someone would have stolen this thing by now. Well, they, they have it buried next to this temple and have a, basically the entire government is the, their reason for existing is to sell the, these two magics. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I mean, well, I guess Bethel's a special case, but she can almost get in and steal it herself, you know? She probably could. Yeah, but she's she's a power of the likes of which has, has never really existed, so. Yeah, and she doesn't really feel like doing the Robin Hood thing. Yeah, yet. Fingers crossed. Right. Um. So, he, what, he sits there for like 40 minutes and gets to level 13? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that's, I think he said like four and a half years worth of study over the course of like <laughs> someone's minutes. lunch hour. Yeah. Casual Very badass. Mm-hmm. And then he gets stuck into this little coffin thing and stacked inside a living room with 499 other coffins. Man. Because that, that's, I guess I'm very glad that there's entads there to keep you focused and calm because I, I don't know if I could handle that for seven freaking days. Yeah, luckily I'm not very claustrophobic. Um, in fact, I don't think I really am at all. Like if I couldn't move, that'd be, that's not claustrophobia. That's just reasonably being, you know, disliking being captive. But um I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not claustrophobic, but being unable to do anything but lay somewhere for seven days would be, it'd be pretty awful. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, so, yeah, they've got like the, you know, all your bodily stuff is taken care of. Us, presumably, you don't need to stretch or, you know, whatever either. Uh, but also your mind is just zen as fuck the whole time. Like you're basically in a, depri- you know, sensory deprivation chamber on mushrooms the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he describes it really well. Like... Either like he's had a dissociative episode or he did spend some time in a sensory deprivation tank on drugs because I think he (laughs) nails it. Um, But yeah, the uh, um, you should never underestimate the power of, you know, doing research and talking to people, too. You know, I I, 
Alexander can't have done everything that he writes so well. My go-to example is always going to be being a 1930s reporter or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, 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 I think he describes it well through either research or, you know, uh, firsthand research, but um, yeah, anyway, sitting there in Woodstock and I feel like I'd want to stretch and just get out and move around, but they certainly found a way to uh, maximize the occupancy of this room. I was thinking that I'll just stand there for, or, you know, like basically pile on top of each other, but now they get their little Japanese, you know, coffin hotel room things, but smaller. Mm-hmm. Oof. It was, it was, I guess, ingenious. They, they had a little mini Raymer at some point helping them figure this out. Wasn't and his it name was Uther. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess Uther did have a lot of experience with Raymer. So he sure did. <laughs> He's like, hold on, this is suboptimal. What do you got? But the, the limit is how many people you can fit in this room. Well, watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, you guys were stopping at 30 so you could all sit down cross-legged? Come on. <laughs> Noobs. Yeah. Bunch of, bunch of wimps. So he is sitting there meditating, and standing next to the thing that they got to meditate on is Harold, big dude in flaming armor, and uh, he's, he's being intimidating. Yeah, my my hope that he was there to like stop end-of-world threats, and that's why he was around for all of them, was immediately dashed. Mm-hmm. When June is like, okay, fine, I'll go talk to him. And he's like, sup, what do you want? He's like, the end of this world, the end of suffering, <laughs> the end of pain, the end of death, the end of life. You will join us. No, nice I'm good. Done. Thanks. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good reply. Yeah. Just it, Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> like, it struck you, me you, that you've seen the the Chad SNL bits. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a okay. lot of them are my favorites, but half of the time he, there's like, "Oh, no, thanks." Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just like, "Chad, I'm I'm, I'm here to kill you." Oh, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. I was struck that those things Harold said were a pretty close reflection of basically all the things that uh, I was raised in in my religion to be like, this is what's going to happen uh, at Armageddon. After Armageddon, God will come down. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. And then at the very end was the end of life. I'm like, well, okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> so Okay, so you're a bad guy. You had yeah, the first half. <laughs> right? Everything was good right until that last line. It's still not clear to me exactly what he's doing. Like, I, I, I know I know partly what he's doing, mm-hmm. but when shit hits the wind, we'll talk about my my thoughts on that. So, okay. Uh, well, part of this is, yeah, him trying to figure out how to deal with this. Uh, one of the things he says is that he kept trying to, like, avoid him and hang back. And, like, it just, it wasn't working. And he got the feeling he was fucked. And he said, and it, when it seems like you're fucked, that's the best time to try to change tactics. And that is not an instinct of mine. And so I just like to, when I run into these sort of things, highlight them and point them out to myself again, because it, it sounds like good advice. And I'm going to keep trying to remember it so that I can implement it if I need to in the future. Yeah, that's a solid life pro tip. Yeah. And I, I think, I, you know, like most uh, techniques or life pro tips or whatever, the hard part is going to be remembering it when the occasion arises. Mm-hmm. But that's why you have a community of people to, you know, try and enforce these good norms. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I was so, recently so scrolling, a shot. <laughs> I was recently scrolling through the new less wrong. And uh, one of the recent articles was a try harder next time is almost always bad advice. It's, it's it just try a different thing next time. Just trying harder very rarely works. I like that. That's an important articulation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying again or trying harder might like imply doing something different, but not necessarily yeah. making that an explicit part of the recipe. Uh, 
yeah, th- see, this is the kind of little insights, you know, the incremental improvements that we get there to, to start kicking ass at life. So hell yeah. All right. So what is he going to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he, he, he nopes out of that conversation and he jumps into Bethel's void to talk with her. Mm-hmm. And he's asking like, he's like, all right, so Harold's here. Um, like, so he's in like whatever the, the coffin to meditate. And it's like one of the antides kind of makes them want to meditate about this pillar. And mm-hmm. that's just where he's standing around. Cause he knows everyone's going to be looking at it. So I don't know how he got to be so smart and how all that shake shook out. But um, so he goes talk to Bethel and Bethel like just jumps right in and says, Oh, you should go fight him. <laughs> and he says, so your advice is to rush headlong into combat against an enemy with unknown capabilities on an unstable and novel to me battlefield. And she says, for all his faults, it's what Uther would do. And I'm just like, okay, who are you? And what have you done with Bethel? Right. Like, okay. So, you know, immediately I'm thinking this, this isn't Bethel. This is Harold. And he enters, you know, he's, he's man in the middle, uh, he's man in the middle attacking. June thinks that he got out to talk with Bethel, but really he's just talking to Harold again. Um, that was a wonderful theory. And I noticed in your notes that like you had several notes during his talk with Bethel and like half of them ended with, I don't think this is Bethel. This is Harold, man. And I was like, God damn, that's such a good theory. I, I wish that, that it panned out because, you know, a theory that good should be rewarded somehow. It, it would have been a diabol- di- diabolus, diabolic ex machina, whatever, mm-hmm. if, you know, June has this magic that no one else can have, no one else has or has even heard of because it's unique to his game layer that lets him jump into the souls of his friends. Um, if Harold could jump into that and get in the way, like that would have been kind of lame. So yeah. I, but I mean, she, she said something positive about Uther. Um, it, it was crazy. Not only that, um, she says that uh, after, you know, she says that thing about Uther and he's like, well, it's like, what I'm saying is that he took what he wanted and plowed on ahead. It was monstrous, but it was part of his strength as a monster. You would do well to take that lesson. And I thought, you know, it it sounds kind of like she admires him in that way. And like this is how I have viewed Bethel ever since we met her, because she is she is sort of a monster. You keep calling her Voldemort. I, I don't think that's wrong. <laughs> like she just she has power and she uses that power to get what she wants. And and it is kind of monstrous. And I think that she has come to emulate Uther. Uh, or or her warped vision, maybe, of what Uther is uh, as, like, a defense thing. So I think that she does have very much, like, I hate him, but he is right, and I have to be like him. And maybe she's going to start realizing that about herself and maybe change her ways because, uh, yeah, it, it it sounds very much like she's got a conflicting love-hate sort of thing with her vision, and it's a deep part of her motivation. Yeah, I'm glad you called that out. Um, she, this is, this is the, this is the personification of her behavior, right? Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I wonder if she's aware, like you said, that she's, that she's, um, emulating this, this aspect of Uther or like the previous one, maybe she grudgingly acknowledges that like, okay, yeah, the guy sucked, but he was a badass. And one of the reasons he is a badass is because he's like me. I also kick ass and take what I want, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, or I wonder if she deals with that dissonance in another way. But I, I would think that she, you know, could never say anything positive about him. And here she is, you know, mimicking one of his traits and saying that, no, nah, he would get in there and kick ass. Yeah. So. 
I mean, I doubt I doubt this will come to a head in the middle of a big battle scene, but maybe like afterwards it'll have some repercussions and she can be like, oh, I should introspect about this stuff. Maybe. I'd like, her, I'd like her to introspect about some stuff. Just there's other stuff she could look at and, you know, she's got lots of things to to figure out their introspection that she could maybe, you know, improve on. So Bethel has many flaws. <laughs> Try, trying to sugarcoat it for her, but yeah. <laughs> She does, however, have a great joke at the end here. When she sends him off to go fight the guy, uh, to fight Harold, she's like, I always believed in you. And I can give you the names of those who didn't. Which, I think that's a joke. And I think it's a pretty good joke because it's exactly her style. Would the names include people that he's killed? Uh, No, I'm I'm thinking they're people that live within her. And she's like, yeah, I spy on them. I know the people who don't always believe in you. And I have a list of enemies and I can share this list with you. Waha. Like I, I think she knows that uh, that he's not actually wanting a list of when his various companions have had doubts about him. But uh, she's implying that, oh yeah, I never had any doubts about you, and uh, I'm willing to throw the other companions <laughs> under the bus for it. See, I thought that was the joke, but then he said it was a good joke. So I was thinking, like, okay, what could make that joke better? You know, who didn't believe in you, Larkspur. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that that would be a good joke too. Yeah, but that wouldn't be like her style. No, but, you know, Amon, you know, he said, by all means, come risk, come rescue Amaryllis. He didn't believe in June and look what happened to him. So mm-hmm. uh, it, the, the the list of people that didn't believe him in also is written on a lot of gravestones he's left in his in his wake. So that is true. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he's like, all right, I guess I'll go fight, go fight Harold. And he shows back up there in the meditation zone. And I don't know why, but Harold says, you will die. And he says it with the kind of conviction I wish I had about anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know why that made me laugh. Like, I mean, so he said it like he's really, really sure, right? Yeah. But like June doesn't have that kind of conviction about anything. <laughs> like, it, 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 it just sounds like, um, like I don't know, millennial piece of, nihilist yeah. humor. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Man, I wish I was that passionate about anything, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Um, so, but he gets in a big old spirit fight with Harold. He does. We didn't get to see a soul fight, but we do get to see a spirit fight. Um, well, I guess there's still time for a soul fight, but we didn't get to see the one with uh, Follader. Yeah. And so, at well, his Harold's spirit is like this gigantic mass that is, uh, you know, dwarfs the number of threads that June has by what sounds like an order of thousands. And he says... It was something more complex than I would ever be. And mm-hmm. my first thought was like, oh, maybe Harold's a god. Totally. Uh, that is how I envision like a, a an actual god like the Christian god would be, you know, significantly more than than any human on, on a very fundamental level. Totally. But we learn later that this inc- that this giant web of his soul includes all the victims that he has. Yes. Although, you know, if it was like a huge hive mind of all these various souls woven together. That's sort of like a God being too. It makes him godlike, but I don't think he's like one of the five gods. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 But I thought he might've been, if I thought that, if I thought that was just his soul, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, okay. So June's got a soul and his is probably above average complicated. And you know, it's one, 1,000th of this guy's, this guy's clearly a God, but this guy's cheating. He's got 10,000 souls under his belt. So yeah, and it didn't sound like the the gods of Arab were all that interested in you know suffering and the the other beings on Arab. So it doesn't strike me as something that they would bother to bother with. 
I don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, do they just sit in their mountains and take harp lessons or, you know, I, I'm desperate to meet one. I'm sure that there's a good reason. This is going to be my next thing that I'll harp on, you know, like how for weeks and weeks I was like, why isn't he at least explained why he hasn't learned revision magic? Mm -hmm. Um, at some point there'll be a sentence where he's like, I had asked Amarilla six months ago why we didn't go visit one of the gods she had seen. And she told me this really good explanation for why we didn't, but we should have had that explanation back then. Mm. Cause it would have been nice. Yeah. I mean, clearly I it's, 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 it's non-lethal to go visit them, you know, cause Amarilla saw two of them. There was something like two dozen chapters back. I think they mentioned that Amarilla was like, you don't just walk into God door. You, uh, <laughs> that, um, setting this up is a major big deal and we can't just do it. Something along those lines. Yeah, but she did it. Well, she was also one of the most powerful people in the world at the time. Well, now she's way more powerful than she used to be. I mean, not in any official way. Like, yes, she has a lot more ability to affect the world around her, but it's not like she has nations and treaties behind her. Oh, so the gods won't let you visit unless you're bringing like important documentation. <laughs> they're sticklers for paperwork yeah you, you need to have they they've they've got the the people at the gates papers please um so I mean, maybe it requires ten thousand lambs as a sacrifice or i don't know that sounds like i, a I guess problem. june could yeah i was about to say june could get his hands on ten thousand lambs but you know there there is going to be an explanation but it's just the kind of thing that like if they're thrown out in a sentence be like oh yeah okay we can't go do that right now obviously mm-hmm. because of this mm-hmm. uh but I'm just thinking, you know, a younger than 17-year-old girl went and saw two gods in her, you know, young age. It sounds doable for this ragtag group of murder hobos. I, but I don't like, know the reason. So, how, Like, how easy is it for the son of the vice president to see the president? Uh, I mean, if you're, like, if you're able to easy. teleport where people don't think you can teleport, and you can, you know, uh, soul rate people and punch through walls. And, well, then again... So, sure, he'd make it to the president's office and he'd immediately be killed um, right. in this analogy. So the idea is how do you, how does, you know, even if they're close, how do they negotiate their way to seeing him? Yeah, okay, fair enough. I see where you're coming from. Still, though, still, I, I yeah. want an explanation. Like, gods are a pretty big deal. I would think so. I would be obsessed about it. To be fair, like, June's actually had a major conversation with the actual most omnipotent being in existence. So, to be fair, the other gods don't compare. Yeah. Yeah, but he can join their ranks and who knows what they can do. We don't even have like a good scope of their powers or what their what their whole shtick is. No, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get it though. We but, do need some Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. Well, we we could use some explanations, but yeah, as you're saying, in the meantime, June kicks the crap out of Harold by sticking memes up his butt meme hole. Yeah, he rickrolls him to death basically. <laughs> That'd um, be great. I know I know it's the the scary meme from the library, but I like to just think that he rickrolled him. Um, yeah, just every thread that he tried to go down is just the same, you know, song on a loop. Mm-hmm. And it overloaded his, uh, I don't know, his sole equivalent of a CPU. Yeah. Um, only June, I think, runs that way. So I'm not sure what he did to Harold. Uh, I don't think I don't know if I put in my notes or not. I didn't think he was dead. Um, I figured that he was just like taking a break. Like, OK, yeah, I'm going to go rest for a week or a while. But yeah. like this whole thing got to be way too exciting for June to win that easily. Mm-hmm. So narratively, I knew that it wasn't over yet. Awesome. That is exactly the sort of insight that I like to see in a pupil. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this story is great for eliciting that kind of thought. So, Hell yeah. All right. So that brings us to chapter 154, 
So as above from below, I don't, I'm not a metaphorical person. I'm sure this means something. He does have to like adjust his stance to whatever looking at the pillar, but I'm sure there's more to it than that. I think it's that Mumrath descends down from the sky to crush the city from above, but um, it happened because they summoned him from below where all the people are doing their tone thing. That's the Lovecraftian oh. kind of nonsense that I'm that I I can dig. Perfect. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, now Harold's gone. June meditates and unlocks the still magic after five and a half days, and then gets both his magics up to the soft cap of twenty. Yeah, pretty sweet deal. Yeah, I imagine he must have been pretty bored for that day and a half. But I guess it's a good thing to have Entads to keep you from getting bored. And you know, he made some good use of the time. Yeah, he did like. Uh, what I would consider, frankly, irresponsible science experiments on himself to like practice still magic, like stilling his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like an easy way to accidentally hurt yourself, but it worked out. So good for him. Um, you know, after like a day and a half in there, at some point I would have just gone into Bethel's void and been like, hey, Bethel, want to shoot the shit for a while? Kind of bored here. That's a really good point. Mm. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, shooting the shit with Voldemort isn't that much fun, though. Uh, I mean, I guess... Once I had maxed out my skill, what else am I going to do? Oh, no, wait. I think he does do that, actually. Um, oh, does he? Yeah, so he hangs out there for five and a half. So he it takes him five and a half days, and he wonders if, like, why it took him almost a week, where it takes everyone else a week and not, like, an hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing it's just because the DM knew he was be trapped in here for a week, so he didn't want it to give it to him right away. But We um, did get the, um, I think this in particular was one of the reasons we got the time compression thing uh from last episode that it was you know pointed out sometimes things are boring for five and a half days and so you just skip over them in the course of a line or two that's true yeah it's uh i mean yeah this would have been a drag to watch him sitting there going insane right Mm -hmm. so yeah i i'm not complaining i'm just uh what am i doing talking about it i guess so um (laughs) he gets to level 20 by doing signs on himself and he tells Bethel, like, yeah, uh, I got the power. It's all good. And she's like, oh, I can do an extraction. You know, we've got this cool plan. We can lower the temple by a few feet because all the words are anchored to, like, the walls rather than to the planet or whatever. Or maybe the other way around. But, oh, yeah, they're they're anchored to Arab. And so if they just move Arab around the temple, i.e. move the temple, then they could break the wards. And it's like, all right, well, that's clever. But let's uh, let's not start war with a, you know, a nation right now. Yeah. And that's that's what I had said. And then June says, like, basically the same thing in a f- couple sentences, and that, and that vindicated me. It was um, great. <laughs> and uh, he – does he realize this? Oh, yeah, it must be – Oh, it's yeah, so, in there. Yeah, he realized he got to level up. Yeah, he leveled up while uh, not even aware of it. So that's kind of cool. I I guess. I mean, it, it is always nice if you, like, go back to your character sheet and you're like, oh, shit, I leveled up a while ago. I got more points. But, you know, it was – it was kind of cool always having the the graphic and the glowy and all that. I mean, he probably did still get it. Ooh, I, I, I wonder if anyone, obviously no one in the temple saw it happen. I guess it doesn't extend past walls, so it wasn't seen outside of the little coffin. But that would have been kind of cool if all of a sudden, like, a coffin starts glowing from the inside. Yeah, the glowing probably still happened, but I don't think, like, the, the ecstasy did. I mean, it might happen. It might have been dulled by the, um, whatever, yeah. the meditative, tran- meditative trance. But I think he the whole point is, is he that he feel. Yeah, he stifled all that stuff, right? Yeah. With his with his soul fuckery or his spirit yeah. fuckery. He said he was only satisfying in the numbers go up sense. Which is still good. It's, numbers go yeah. up, man. 
That's you're right. I mean, that's the reason we do most things in life. Yeah, it's the it's the reason for the season. <laughs> Is it the reason for the season? It's one of them. Okay, cool. If I have if I have to really strain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, numbers went up, and then uh, I had this. So I I should have gone back to check, and I didn't. Um. The the ambush that he gets after he gets out. Mm-hmm. So. I don't think it was Harold because like maybe it is, but he didn't seem able to like push people that hard or maybe he just wasn't doing that with um, Sony. I absolutely think it had to be Harold that he like before he was trying to be subtle about it and sneak back door into June's mind. But then here in the temple, June was like, all right, I'm going to fight you directly one-on-one head to head and I'm going to win. And uh, at that point, Harold was like, well, okay, guess I got to kill his body because I, I have minions in the physical world that can do this. That that would be my that would be my idea because I can't see who else would have done this. Like, also, Harold is very conveniently the major villain during this action, it seems like. But like you said, I, I loved your comments that like there was a student council person with blue skin and electricity. Maybe this is the student council coming to murder him. And I thought that was great because wow, that's, that's a sudden turning things up to 11 from like, you are taking advantage of this loophole in the rules to let's murder you now. Yeah. They (laughs) took it up to 11. (laughs) It it seems a bit extreme to me for, for your student council complaint to, to go start murdering people for it. But, uh, but uh, but I did find it hilarious that that you thought that would that would be a thing they did. So um, my my thinking was that if Harold was behind it, he's got I don't know ballpark a thousand people at least at least. He, so uh, I I would think he's in more than three. Granted, they were three exceptional people, mm. um, but I, I I don't know. I would have tried harder. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think there's, first of all, only so many people you can fit in a small room, but more importantly, like, he was starting his summoning of Mumrath, so he needed all the people to go the ooh thing. Yeah, but if you know that there's somebody around who can fuck you up by, you know, getting in your way, you just, I don't know, I'd have five more people in the hallway ready to rush in. I guess. He he didn't manage to fuck him up, though. Like, Mumrath showed up. Harold got his thing. But, for I mean, maybe he got Mumrath to show up, but maybe... Harry or Harry, maybe hmm. June can still defeat Harold and that will stop Momrath or maybe not. But anyway, this, you know, this, this June guy seems like a, a unique threat. I still would have tried harder to kill him. Let me see. So I'm looking at the, um, well, I skimmed the part with the, uh, the student council and none of them mentioned being blue and having electric fingers, but I could have sworn that was one of them. Maybe it is just the, the fact that they didn't try hard, but if that, if these weren't the student council people, then yeah, it's probably Harold, which is also the better bet. So anyway, like one's like a werewolf that cuts his eye out and, you know, mm-hmm. rips his face and um, one shoots electricity and the other one has I think a void was, pistol. Yeah, I think was probably also remarkable as by the way, but had a void pistol. So. <laughs> he was probably good at shooting. Yeah. Frankly, you know, it seems like dual wielding a void pistol on one hand and a regular pistol on the other. You know, if you're going up against a muggle without magic, mm-hmm. it's probably the smart way to do it. Mm-hmm. Because the void pistol takes four seconds to recharge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if he'd had a regular, just rapid firing pistol, there, June probably would have been fucked. Totally. Well, unless I don't know, maybe he could have done something fast enough. But it doesn't matter. He didn't have to. June would have been fine because he, you know, he's Uther. 
but yeah, uh, any any anyone else that'd be mm-hmm. that'd be my standard arsenal. I, I think I mean I think Harold just underestimated June. Didn't realize that he was such a fucking badass. Dumb move. And, that's, yeah, I gotta say this. I really enjoyed this fight because like all his toys were taken away, all his powers were taken away. He was just a dude who's really fucking good at martial arts and is really buff. And it was it was a fun fight to like watch him try to take out guy with a gun plus guy with uh, zappy powers plus werewolf and and having it be just so so primitive and without all the toys was kind of a neat thing to see. Agreed. Yeah, in, and in, and he demonstrated that he can still kick ass with without magic. Yeah, totally. And like he he went just hardcore brutal on her. You you pulled this thing out where uh, he hits he hits the lightning lady with a. Strike to her throat and then stomped on her head with the sole of my foot three times in succession. Uh, a big defeated message showed up. Your comment was, Holy shit, June is not fucking around. And I'm like, Yeah, that's when people are trying to kill you. Like, don't, don't fuck around even in the slightest. And he didn't. And I thought that was just really badass. And I was like, Yeah, that's absolutely how you should react when someone's trying to kill you. Get them yeah. out of the fight as quickly as possible. That's the, the Krav Maga intent to kill kind of stuff. Like, you know, it's it's horrible, and luckily, most of us get to go our entire lives without, without ever being in an altercation like this. But, like, mm-hmm. if you're in a fight for your life and your opponent has no regard for your your well being, you can't for theirs either. Yeah. Which means you you've got to think of like doing gross stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. like feeling their skull crack beneath your foot. Um, right. I'm assuming he's barefoot, right? <laughs> like th- this this has to be uh, just you know visceral and and gnarly but he's like i'm not gonna you know let some squeamishness get me killed mm-hmm. um i forget which one's cloud cloud why can't i, I say think, that uh claude 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 yeah yeah I'm saying cloud like the puffy things in the sky um claude's yeah. claude's Cl- claude's body given what the game layer told me a feature that i continue to hate and <laughs> i mean the feature being that he gets their names now instead of just you know, assailant. Defeated. Right. Yeah. Mook number two defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the things that made me think early on that everyone else was NPC is because it was like Fusho Coterie member defeated. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't, you know, Jeff. <laughs> you, but, you have the best comment about Claude. Oh, yeah. So he, he hates the feature. Because it says their name, and I'm just like, what if we put like humanizing features about them, like you know, Claude, father of two and a dog lover, uh, defeated, you know, just <laughs> like Claude, favorite. who had just finished writing his first novel. Yep, Claude, expecting uh, a new baby in two months, just finished paying off his student loans, you know, like just, <laughs> right, just yeah. little humanizing details about him. Mm-hmm. Oh man, uh, <laughs> Claude, who takes care of his elderly gla- grandmother. Yeah. Well, was, I couldn't find was, any substantiation. Claude's really a great guy, aside from the trying to murder June part, you know? Yeah. Well, and if these guys are body jacked by Harold, um, mm, these yeah. are all just victims, right? That's true. Yep. Even worse. And, you know, you still have to do what you've got to do to survive. But, uh, you know, I don't know if this, like, Fuchsia Coder, remember, defeated is because, like, they're not really people. They're part of this organization, right? Um, mm-hmm. it might say Harold Minion defeated, you know? Yeah. I or mean, I honestly no, think you, it's just killed the, the person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just the DM cranking up the fucking with June levels where he was like, huh, June's not feeling bad enough about his life. 
uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let him know <laughs> about the people that he's killing. I can't wait till it does start giving the personal details then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Me too. Oh, he did that thing. So remember uh, when Amaryllis was at the top of the tower in um, Silmar mm-hmm. and Quills is up there and he's got June as a hostage and she shoots the void pistol and like he knows he can't deflect the blow, but he slows it down with his blade. Yeah. Well, he, he dampens some of the shock. June does that with his hand and yeah. like the rest hits him in the face and he's like, eh, no biggie. But then later he he's tenderly touching it and he's like, oh, I can put my finger into my head. And like... <laughs> This this it's a good thing hurt. I only lost a tiny bit of brain. I I know, right? <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how much brain he was running without for a minute, but uh yeah, he he, he literally took a shot to the brain. Well. Oh. So good good thinking though that he sacrificed most most of his hand instead, because I'd I'd rather lose that than I mean, if he lost that much brain, I think he would have been down and out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, it's like what? A centimeter across or something the circles it puts the holes it puts in you mm-hmm. like think, you know actually, you, you can sure. take a, yeah. a railroad spike through the head and not die um that's true it has to be a like a fairly precise railroad spike mm-hmm. um i wouldn't want to take my chances and then again too i think that maybe part of what happens with that is some of the matter is pushed to the side rather than just annihilated uh yeah yeah you know it, it certainly would wreck a lot of stuff but not as bad as just erasing parts of your brain Mm-hmm. Anyway, what a badass. He gets to put this on on his uh on his list of, you know, I guess the worst wound he probably had is having his arm almost ripped off. But this is uh this is one of the coolest wounds he's ever received. Totally. All right, so he's uh he makes a quick trip to Bethel to let her know, and I just love how he doesn't fuck around. He says, Things are fucked. I was attacked. No extraction options at the moment. Pull the trigger. And like none of this you know, he doesn't pause to explain, like, you know, the long version. I just, I just love succinctness. This mm-hmm. this is the opposite of when Harry was asking the librarian, you know, <laughs> is there a faster way to talk to Professor McGonagall, right? Yeah. The, we're after hours, you know, what's what's the meaning of this? Like, no, fuck all that. He's just straight to it. Mm-hmm. And then Bethel, who a second ago was all eager to go in and start a war, was like, well, hold on, something's happening. Storm overhead. And I'm like, what? A little fucking rain? And no, no, it's it's, it's a magic storm, extremely well, powerful obviously, magic. Obviously, it's got to be a big fucking deal if it's stopping Bethel. Yeah, I, I guess. But I just, you know, my thought was like, who cares? Get the fuck over here. <laughs> and it's overhead. You're underground. Get your ass in here. But uh-huh. it's a big magic storm, and apparently the rock is reinforced, and this is all, you know, some super. I don't know. I was thinking like she was itching for a chance to do stuff. And now just a little magical maelstrom is going to get in her way. Mm-hmm. But it turns out it was a pretty dope magical maelstrom that justified her laziness. I mean, her inability to help. So, <laughs> And also, it sounds like the temple people actually thought about, you know, what if someone tries to tunnel underneath our temple and took measures against it by doing something to reinforce the rock? <laughs> I mean, given given the amounts of magic and, you know, I don't know how you have proper security when like entads can do anything is always on the table mm-hmm. but you know i feel like with just vibration and other magics you can get through rocks so yeah they reinforce the stuff that makes sense yeah pretty damn cool I-, I gotta say like with the this summoning ritual was fucking awesome because first of all just the creepiness of suddenly thousands of people across the city and almost everyone underground 
like just tilting their heads up and staring to the sky and all making this one droning tone all at once and doing nothing else. Just creepy as all fuck. It was beautiful. And then this massive storm is rolling in because of it. And these giant legs are coming down out of it. I was, I thought the entire summoning ritual was just absolutely badass. Having never read Lovecraft, it sounds very Lovecraftian. Yes, I I thought, well, I don't know if it would be like Lovecraftian in the old school Lovecraft, because I don't think he did exactly this kind of thing. But based on where the genre has gone since his time, yes, it felt very Lovecraftian to me. So what what would summoning a Lovecraftian monster look like? Um, more ritual, um, less of this one single thing that everyone does in exactly perfect unison. Like this is something that I think we would consider creepy. I'm not sure. Well, maybe people in the early 1900s would have too, but it wasn't quite the same thing that uh, Lovecraft usually did, which would have involved um, more like hmm, satanic ritualish kind of things. Right on. Yeah. I was going to guess like blood pentagrams and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, anyway. Yeah. So he hears the droning and apparently Cor- Harold had said something about the chorus is ripe. Um, mm. And, Rather than run off to find healing, he's going to go run straight at the source of the noise. So that's nice of him. He's got his priorities. Yeah. Uh, what, what What is your um, hashtag? Oh, yeah. I put in the notes hashtag because that's what heroes do. Heck yeah. Uh, he's not going to run back to the surface to, you know, put on some band-aids before he comes to check out the problem, right? No, but he did run to like a room where the wards are pulled back so that he can do some healing. Only after he established like what was going on, though. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Because he he goes and then he finds like, okay, yeah, there's all these weird people singing. Then he finds, I forget her name, but she is like the best person to have around during an emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, She's keeping her calm and helpful and not asking a bunch of stupid questions. Again, the opposite Mm -hmm. of of the poor librarian. Um, Yeah. But not freaking out, really. Just being, you know. Yeah. She says, God's hope this isn't an exclusion. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's actually a really badass thought to consider. But like i i guess i had two thoughts on that one i didn't know what would be being excluded currently mm-hmm. uh, another thing is in my mind exclusions are unremarkable events um like i don't know it, maybe raven's been around for one and he she could tell him what it was like but mm-hmm. like if if i was the dm i guess i could see it going both ways like it might just be where someone comes out to do their usual class magic and they're like wait a minute why doesn't this work mm-hmm. or if you're feeling fancy it's this big catastrophe that you know it rains glass all across the planet for you know 10 minutes and then it stops and that's the end of glass magic right see i would think that it's actually both because exclusions are basically caused by ramers right they're people who found a rule that they can munchkin and break in some way and use that rule to to the the exploitation of that rule to take over the world like I guess Felsi did that. Who knows how many other things have done that? Sounded like at least a couple dozen. And like, if you are in that area where the person is like, oh yes, unlimited godlike power, then all of a sudden your world is being turned upside down. Things are being taken over. This rule of the universe is being completely abused and fucked. And so for you, it's like the end of the world fucking going on. And then the DM goes like, oh, nope, can't have that happening. Uh, 
it is now restricted to just that one place where the dude that was abusing it is. And so there's an exclusion zone right there. So for everyone in the zone, it was basically the end of the world. But like everyone else all across Arab, I think would be totally like what you said, where they just go to do their glass magic to turn on their oven or whatever. And it doesn't turn on. It's like, oh, oh, shit. Okay, that that magic doesn't exist anymore. So it's probably both, depending on where you are. I like where your head's at. I was thinking that like the exclusion itself would be unremarkable, but the event that justified the exclusion. Now that, yeah, that does sound like a world, you know, shaking thing. Yeah. You know, that farmer, uh, that that pumpkin was so big that, <laughs> you know, it, it ate a city. And- yeah, right. <laughs> and those killer tomatoes that he had, man. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, where does this? Yeah, he's so he's describing this uh, possible exclusion event or whatever with this huge ass storm above him, and he says it was go hide in the cellar weather, the kind that always made me think about kneeling in the hallways at school. And I think I may have lost a tiny bit of respect for June right here because, like, does he mean to to kneel and pray in the hallway? Because that doesn't that doesn't sound like June. It doesn't sound like June, but like, why else would you kneel in the hallway of the school if the weather's really bad? Uh, I mean, so the you know fun thing about the Greater Denver area, or I guess the this part of the Midwest, we don't really get a lot of extreme weather here. We had a cool uh, flood in '97, um, and we get the occasional blizzard. But like, he's we in don't Kansas, get... so he gets uh, um, tornadoes sometimes. Yeah, exactly. But I'm talking about you and me. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So growing up, we didn't get earthquakes, tornadoes, or anything like that. Um, Tornadoes, that might actually be the go-to, like, what you do in school if there's a tornado. You go to the hallways because the hallways are between classrooms, which have all the windows. Oh, and you, okay. you get the fuck down because, and, you know, probably cover your head in case the roof starts falling. All right. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. At first, I thought, like, it was, like, an active shooter drill, but you absolutely don't go into the hallway for, for those. No, no. Um, no, yeah. I think it's, like, okay, yeah, everybody, it's, we got a tornado. Everyone go sit in the hall while we wait for this to pass. Okay, that I guess that makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. At least it makes more sense than him praying. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> anyone who's been through a tornado drill in school, uh, if anyone has, let us know. And I wonder if that's what was going on. Totes. All right, so he ends the chapter saying, oh, that Mumrath, which is the title of the next chapter. Yeah, real, like, the the setup, I think, is is Bethel and Amaryllis. Well, Bethel hosting Amaryllis is busy like i think they just got back to the surface or something and she's like you know don't get up there everything's fucked and he's like i'm on the elevator uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh amaryllis has stopped the elevator and like we don't know it it's just it's it's set up in this really cool way um where it's like it's something huge we don't know what's going on it's it's gigantic it's scary and you know it's it's too big for us you know there's mm-hmm. there's thousands of mages here we should get the fuck out of here mm-hmm. and you know, because he's responsible and a hero and he can't help but be aware of narrative. He's like, I want to see like, mm-hmm. let me, let me look at it. And Plus I'm already on the elevator. It's not like there's a stop button. Yeah. There's no stop button. I mean, he could, no. he is a still mage, um, <laughs> but quiet you, there's no stop button, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he does get up there and, uh, that Momrath. Yeah. So I run through vision. No, no, it's all good. Suddenly, the memories come flooding back, and we start out with a flashback to Kansas, and Arthur is in this one. And I was really glad to see Arthur again, because he'd been, like, gone for a little while, and uh, and now he's back. And that made me wonder, huh, is there a reason that he is back now when he was gone for a while, or is that just coincidence? 
And I don't actually have an answer to that. I couldn't I couldn't figure out a reason. I mean, I'm not I, I could probably invent one on the fly, but it's going to be, you know, a just so explanation. I don't have a I mean, it fits, right? Mm-hmm. Like the other mm-hmm. ones, it it made sense for him not to be around. Um this could have been a conversation with anybody, but it's someone that is like, "Hey, let me let me flex your creative muscle here." And who else mm-hmm. to do that but Arthur? Um, yeah. And maybe the other thing is just uh I don't I mean there's there's definitely some significance because Arthur put this thing on his are you from earth list. Oh, the Mumrath? Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's some significance there too. I think he probably did that because he knew about the Mumrath. Like he somehow managed to get around the anti-memetic effects due to whatever entads or 40 years of training or whatever and he was like, "Yep, if anybody knows about the Mumrath, that's going to be a uh a really good sign that bad things are afoot." I don't know. I, I think he specifically knew about this specific threat, which was why I was on his list. It could be, but if he did, he'd know that no one could say yes to that question. Like no one, no one would be able to answer yes. I'm familiar with that, unless it was June, quite possibly. Uh, I don't. I, I think that we both concluded in our notes, and Amaryllis concludes that like June didn't know about this thing. Yes, right? I, I yeah, we we I I certainly believe that uh, he came to Arab and had it wiped from his mind because it's got the anti-memetic effects, but. Like, Arthur didn't know that that would be the case. He's like, June obviously created this world. I am stuck in June's stupid fucking world. June would probably know about Mumrath if he gets teleported in here. And, like, it didn't occur to Arthur that, like, maybe the DM um, would even wipe that from even June's memory. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. So Arthur's uh, got a, I don't know what you call it, a writing prompt for him. Yeah, they're about to watch Captain America Civil War Hell for the yeah. third time. Uh, and he's like, okay, so what's the dumbest cinematic universe you can think of? And uh, June comes up with uh, the DC MCU. <laughs> or no, not the DC Extended Universe was your joke because uh, that was a sick burn on DC. Shots fired. Uh, it's a great yeah, idea. Right? but And I think you say execution is everything, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, June comes up with like the fast food, uh, extended universe. Arthur's like, that's actually a pretty cool idea. And then he says, I, I think whatever you say is a dumb cinematic universe. I'm going to imagine ways that it could be good. And yeah, that's, that's where I said that. Sure. Anything can be good if it's done right. Uh, and anything that sounds awesome can be shit if it's done wrong because it, it is all about the execution. But I was wondering, do you have anything you can think of that's like, the dumbest thing in the world on paper, but then you actually watched it or played the game or read the book or whatever. And you were like, holy shit, this should be terrible, but it's really fucking good. And I don't know how that's the case because like there was a, what's the movie, the Five Nights at Freddy's movie with Nick Cage? Uh, Willie's Wonderland. Willie's Wonderland. I have not seen that yet. And maybe I really should get around to it, but like everyone says, this sounds like the dumbest idea ever, but then you watch it and it's like really fun. I wouldn't say it was really fun. Uh, no. it, it was, it was an experience. Okay. Um, it, it was surreal and it, I think it, I'm assuming it did exactly what it wanted to do. Um, okay. but like that, that's not an example of like something that, you know, you, you tell me that Nick, Nick Cage is going to five nights at Freddy's his way for, you know, through some haunted, whatever, Chuck E. Cheese, like, that sounds like a great movie, right? Um, so, <laughs> okay. uh, like, what sounds like a dumb movie? Like, all right, we got this talking tree, this raccoon, and, you know, these other throwaway random characters. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you, you pulled out Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's a good example. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I would have to think I didn't actually like I, I skimmed that note improperly, I guess. Cause I, I just threw down my note, which was like, I think a groundhog day extended universe would actually suck. Okay. Like, I don't even know what that would look like. Like just yeah. more people groundhog daying. Mm-hmm. Like there are only so many ways you can do that. Yeah. Um, and like, what would they all like meet together later? Like what the hell would that make? They all start like, so they all go through their own eons long groundhog day. And then they all start groundhog daying at the same time when they're all at the same, whatever conference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, eh, I don't know, but yeah, I, I saw anyway, what, what's your, what's your ideas? Cause I can't think of one right off. I'll do my best to think of one on the fly. I mean, I don't know. I think, see, I think the problem is that a lot of things I think just sound like they could be good ideas. My mind went to Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, mm-hmm. which is a movie that some Canadian film students did with like a camcorder and a thousand dollars. But I think that actually sounds like a cool idea. Like you always hold up crosses to ward off vampires, right? And Jesus is like, I am the cross. Mm-hmm. Of course, he'd be an awesome <laughs> weapon against vampires. So that actually sounds pretty damn awesome to me. Um, so what's something that sounds really, really stupid? And then I watched it and I was like, oh, that was really fucking good. And it had no right to be. Uh, okay, here's one. Okay. Um, there was a movie, I think, that came out in, year, in 2000 called uh, Fat Man. Oh, okay. Yes, you've talked about this before. This movie blew my mind. Hmm. Uh, like, I, I can give you the premise. And it like somebody is hired by a child to uh, kill Santa Claus. and i watched this movie and then as the credits started i I turned to my wife and i was like i think that movie was perfect (laughs) like (laughs) it it was amazing like it doesn't mean it was the best movie ever but it was the best thing of that i could possibly imagine yeah so i i I, I do strongly recommend that one that wasn't just a surreal experience like uh willie's wonderland that was like a damn good movie that that is perfect in fact You're gonna you're, you're talking. You're gonna go kill Santa Claus. Like, all right, this sounds stupid. Yeah, okay, that that, that was a fun exercise. Cool. All right. Well, we got it. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, oh, they're they're trying to brainstorm ideas. June mentions the League of, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and Arthur says, "Ah, wish they were easier to get my hands on," as like his excuse for why he hasn't read it yet. And I just I couldn't help but eye roll at that because they're in the year 2017. It's not like Arthur doesn't know about Amazon. He can easily get his hands on it. That's I mean he he could easily get his hands on it, but you forget 17 year olds don't have that much money. Oh, that's probably true, especially 17 year olds in bumfuck Kansas or bumblefuck yeah. Kansas. Yeah, I guess it just sounded like an unnecessary excuse. It did, and I liked that. And June June commented on that in a parenthetical. He mm-hmm. said that it was always mildly surprising to me when I had read or watched something that Arthur hadn't. He had an annoying way of playing it off sometimes, either putting me down for wasting my time on something that was objectively garbage or making some excuse for himself, which was never wanted or needed. On the one hand, you know, on the majority hand, it sounds like Arthur kind of being a douche. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is a guy who prides himself on, like, consuming a lot of stuff and thinking of a lot of things. It sounds also like an insecure kind of defense tactic. Mm-hmm. like hey i've you know have you have you read the watchman comics and it's like oh uh no i you know i haven't found a good deal for it on ebay like you feel the need to justify that if you're somebody like arthur you know that's 
I guess. I mean, he. yeah, you're right. I was about to say he should just be secure enough to say, no, I haven't had time to get around to that yet. But yeah, you're right. If if he is insecure, then then he couldn't say that. And yeah, I guess Arthur's like a real person with actual real flaws as well. I've like only recently, and I'm still working on it, barely become secure enough to not like excuse everything that I do. So uh, okay, yeah, I, I, I can, I can kind of relate to where Arthur's coming from. If I go mm-hmm. with a charitable hand, it could also mm-hmm. be, you know, if he's putting it down, be like, no, I haven't watched that garbage. Like, right. you know, hey, you don't have to be an asshole about it. Like that, yeah. that part's not really, I, I would just go with that. Ah, it's not my cup of tea, but 17 year olds, oh. less uh, social practice. I I have just right here as we were finishing up, I thought of my thing that was fucking amazing, even though it had no right to be. Oh boy. Uh, Steven Universe. It's it's just like a silly cartoon 11 minute shorts of of this kid who's just really cheerful got his heart in the right place and the the premise is dumb but like it's so good and i watched it long enough there was an episode that literally made me cry like real sobbing tears and i mean admittedly it was commenting directly on a major trauma that was going on in my life at the time so it, it was a case of perfect timing but like it was also pretty good. It it didn't have any right to be that good, and yet it was. I love when fiction can hit that hard. Yeah. That's that's just good stories. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I try to think an episode of that, and I should give another shot at your recommendations. So It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know what my hang... I mean, it's not exactly a hang-up as it is just laziness. You know, I, I generally try to give things three episodes. That's only 33 minutes for Steven Universe. <laughs> yeah, I, I got the time. Who am I kidding? So... <laughs> Anyways, they get to talking uh, about what the dumbest uh, extended universe would be. And June is like, yeah, you know what? One based around Jabberwocky. Just everything in there is its own movie. Uh, and he he starts just coming up with things on the fly about Mumrath. And one of the things that he really gets into is the anti-memetic effect of it. Um, which he says that's like the best part of this monster. It's what the whole movie is built around. Because people can't remember anything about this monster if they get more than like a mile or something away from it and he said people remember their cities being destroyed but they've got no idea what happened no one knows what did it or has any explanation there's nothing on video cameras or things of record on on records it just scrubs itself from reality and this this was where i was like i love that june could not remember the mumrath at all because like i you know, I'm familiar enough with the Jabberwocky that I I was familiar with the Mumrath um, when it showed up several times, part of the uh, the changing color ball and stuff. And I was like, huh, what does June not know about Mumrath when he knows about the Vorpal Sword and stuff? But uh, now here it's explained. Like, he got, we joined him when he got warped into Arab at the very beginning of the story. And the DM purged that shit from his memory because Mumrath has got anti-memetic powers and June is, um, June is affected by them too. And I thought that was really damn cool. That is pretty cool. It almost seems unfair, but yeah. you know, like tough shit. If you're if you're June, like yeah, that's uh, I don't know. Uh, you made this monster, man. And I mean, he could recite the poem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's not like when he read it because they they brought in a copy. It's not like he couldn't remember reading the word. He just didn't remember making the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Unfair hardly sounds. You know, who said this stuff had to be fair? Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, I I don't know. He he tosses around the idea. He's like, did I just like forget about it? And it's like, no, dude, obviously you and Amarillo mm-hmm. sort of like remembered, you know, when you're sitting there talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's no way that this just slipped your mind. 
By the way, speaking of this, did you ever read uh, Missing Persons by Alexander Wales? No, but I opened the tab and you put it in the notes here. Okay, it's real short, um, like just a few pages long. And it's just sort of a world-building exercise on basically this exact sort of thing happening where like just a city disappeared from the world and nobody even realizes it for the longest time until someone's like, huh, there should have been a city there. And it's <laughs> it's it's kind of creepy cool. That does sound cool. This hey. yeah, I'm I'm excited. I will check it out tonight. Cool. Um let's see. So Oh, an interesting thing about this flashback is there isn't a break and then jumping back to uh Arab. It just kind of slowly transitions from the memory to the action without a line break or any discrete jump. Yeah, I I'm glad you pointed that out because I I think I noticed but didn't like register it properly. I have no idea what to make of that. Um, uh, do you have any any guess? I mean, other than <laughs> the fact of, that like it's it's it is like a seamless thing. Um, it and it kind of fits of- with the surrealness of it. Yeah, I was going to say it it feels thematically appropriate to me to be like a thing that you a memory that was always there but was like blocked from you and now it's just melting back in and and the world is continuing on. Um I don't think I don't know. Like it it, it wasn't necessary or anything. It just I like the way that this one time it was different. Yeah, me too. And, and it, I think like you said it felt like it was related to the memetic stuff. Yeah, no, that actually makes perfect sense. I like that explanation a lot. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, what this fits like is rather than like a cutback, it's more like he, he gets a glimpse at this thing and then he's like, Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember this. Jeez. Yeah. So how cool is that? Um, and he just tells Amarillo's like anti-meme. If we leave, you'll forget about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's fun is like, I, I think, yeah, they have, uh, cameras and stuff on Arab, but like, you know, this is like the sort of oh, well, if you erase the memories, like, why is that enough? It's like, it erases everything. It's magic. Fuck you. Like, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, <laughs> June's just straight up. like, we can't call in the cavalry. Uh, this is like the one, t- like, as much as that would make sense in a lot of contexts, we can't even do that here. Mm-hmm. You know, no one will be able to, to, I mean, I guess I don't, it's not clear to me why you couldn't call the cavalry. I, like, I mean, he says unless you have to about- leave to make the phone call. Yeah, he said something about the the outgoing signals just won't get through. Oh, okay, yeah, that checks out. So yeah, cell phones don't work, and you can't you can't go get cell range without going out of its range. So mm, something along those lines, yeah. yeah. The, that the, specifically, that's its superpower. You can't get outside help. So it's it if that's the case, then it has to be um, the the kind of thing that a ragtag group of murder hobos can tackle. Yeah, I that. I guess. I mean, Amaryllis' thinking seems right in that regard, but it just, it's so weird that, like, a a jet fighter with insane magic abilities wouldn't be able to take this down, but it's designed to be able to, like, a guy can climb up the leg and stab it in the brain or something, and, and that's the way to kill it. But I guess, like, if you specifically design your monsters exactly to be able to be taken down like that, then, then it does make sense. That would be the only thing that works. It's just, it's a little frustrating. It is. I mean, I guess it's, it's less frustrating than him making a thing that's literally impossible to beat though. That's true. So, you know, there, uh, you mentioned just like running up and punching it in the face. That's the thought he has. He says, Mom, Momrath was enormous. Maybe the biggest thing I had ever seen in person. 
And I was just going to, what, stab it in the face until it died? Yeah, that seemed like what I was going to do. <laughs> right. That's the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> but, he does He does specifically call out Shadows of the Colossus, or Shadow of the Colossus, which, uh, God, I guess at this point it's probably too late to play the game. But, man, I heard that was such a good game in the day, and I wish I would have played it. I bet you can get an emulator for it on your PC. Oh, no. I mean, I'm sure I could play it if I wanted to play it. I'm just worried that at this point it's been so long and the technology and gameplay has been surpassed by things that came out afterwards that it wouldn't it wouldn't be as amazing and mind-blowing as it would have been if I'd played it like five years ago even. That's true. That's that. I think there have been sequels okay. and they might make more stuff like that, so... I will say that one of the things I really liked about the first two God of War games and one of the things that really disappointed me about the uh, the new one in terms of gameplay was that like at the end of every level, you had this sort of giant god boss similar to the Shadows of Colossus where you would climb up it and have the weak spot that you had to hit. And it was just a really epic feeling battle when you got to those boss fights. This did, I think, and I didn't play the other ones, but I think it did the, the boss battles on a more like one-on-one scale, yeah. um, which you're right, is less epic than him climbing something that's, you know, 10 stories tall to punch in the face. Oh, mm-hmm. but I have seen the fights. Like, I think it might've been Ares. Um, like I saw a video of it. The um, Ares fight I thought was the worst one because that one is just where like, you're scaled up to Ares size. Oh, that wasn't the one you... I'm thinking of then. It's like, oh, oh okay. It, it's like, there's like lava around and, I think when he like smashes his arm down, you jump up on his arm and run up him or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh shit, like that. Yeah. So and that that was fucking cool. cool. But I think yeah, having yeah. you know the, the fight, I like the fights in God of War. But I guess if you're if you're comparing them to the other ones, that's what you're you're looking at. Then it's a different effect. So yeah, and I mean the story of the new God of War is fucking amazing. I'm glad I played it for that. But I just didn't I didn't find the gameplay as cool as the first gun one. I can't disagree with you because it's tastes. <laughs> fair um, enough now but i will ask didn't you did you have fun i won't make it a leading question did you enjoy yeah. throwing the axe and catch and summoning it and catching it no not at all oh god damn it <laughs> i'm sorry that's okay I, I i i don't particularly i don't like a first person shooter feel where your thing is just one weapon that you throw and then catch again like i i would have preferred to actually be a first person shooter or a brawler instead of having like this hybrid thing where you throw the axe sometimes i found that slightly annoying i'm looking forward to the things they can do like camera in this was and i could go on about god of war for an hour but mm-hmm. uh, the camera choices in that were 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 interesting like you'll notice compared to the other ones it was a kind of close over the shoulder rather than a zoom out side scroller looking kind of thing yeah and so it made the scale much more personal. Um, mm-hmm. But it also meant like it was really easy for things to hit you in the back because you can't see behind you. Um, yeah. But, you know, he only threw the axe sometimes. I just liked how he held his hand out. And when he catches it, it shakes the remote a little bit, shakes the screen just a smidge. You can feel the weight of this thing. Yeah, I just that part felt was like pretty a, cool. Yeah, that was the satisfying part. Like I, using it, in, like throwing it in battle was never that much fun. It never felt like it did enough damage. Like if if it... And if it packed a punch when he threw it, that'd be cool. But all right, God of War aside, um, okay. he would come in handy against this thing. Uh, yeah, totally. Kratos's power or Kratos' strength is as strong as he needs to be. Um, <laughs> that is true. So Amaryllis is talking to him via the walkie-talkie and says, Juniper, we should leave or you should wait for us. And he says, no one will be able to stop it. 
there are uncompromised people left in Leo, mages with some, with some fight left in them. We need Grack up here for analysis to make some wards. We might be able to ward against the memory effect. And uh, she says, don't do anything rash. We're on our way. Mm. And I'm like, don't climb this thing like an idiot and fall off. Like, wait for your bloodthirsty, overpowered as shit, flying murder house to get here, and you can fly to the top. But nope. what's he's he climbing. doing? He starts climbing it. Yeah. Yep. The best thing is, is he's climbing. And I, my thought was like, he's like using his little dagger and his sword as like handhold things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, the dagger's whole thing was they could make copies, use them as footholds. Mm-hmm. And he was like, five minutes later, I realized I could be using them as footholds. <laughs> yeah. In, in his defense, He's in a stressful situation fighting a gigantic Leviathan monster, and I'm mm-hmm. sitting here, you know, pausing to comment at him. So I, I, I don't think in the situation I would have had the wherewithal to use the. To, I wouldn't. You know, I would, what would I done? I'd have been stepped on. That's what would happen to me. So <laughs> right, um, but it, it does kind of feel cool when you think of something, and then the character thinks of it a little bit after you. That honestly, it's just nice that they think of it at all. Like you know, that's that's what makes traffic enjoy, enjoyable. Is like you can sit there and think of like. But hold on, you've got this clever solution. And mm. then they're like, oh, hold on, I've got this clever solution. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. yes, you're not going to just forget about this ace up your sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Totally. I got to say, talking about the flying Bethel awesome murder house thing, like the way she comes in, like as you put it, an X-wing, fucking <laughs> blows lightning and giant cannonball guns at this thing, and then turns herself into a flying blade and spears it and starts phasing in and out, like... That was awesome. Like, this is why you keep around these psychotic murder house things, right? Because, sure, they're really, really a pain in the ass to work with. And perhaps sometimes you're scared for your life when you're inside them. But they come in <laughs> super handy when fucking kaiju show up and you really need to bust out the big guns. I mean, and you also have the luxury of like being able to train a clone army in them and stuff. But, yeah, the yeah. you know, what's fun about this is you're right. Like, it, it's impressive as hell. Um you know, she mentioned when Fen got killed, like, oh, what could I have done? Like, well, probably maybe something like this. Right. Well, I guess she couldn't fly at the time, but half of the other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, she also didn't have the flicker blade. Still, she would have been able to do something. Yeah. Uh, but the other fun thing about this is that she comes in, you know, with a with firepower that I don't think anything on Earth can stop. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't doesn't work. No. So that that's the fun thing is if she flew in and ripped this thing apart, that'd be cool. And it'd be like, oh, okay, that's what this house can do. But she comes in and for the first time ever goes all out and she puts mm-hmm. a dent in him, but yeah. not without getting killed twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When the, 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 uh, Amaryllis's, um, what is it? Communication comes through second wish used. I was like, Oh shit. They better get the fuck out of there. They only got one left. Yeah. And you do not use your third one. You know, no, uh, that's just begging to slip on the ice on the way home and, you know, wish you could have used it then. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. June has had, had this thought that you pulled out about like, Oh shit, we got to recover the dead people. Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I skipped that. Um, because I was jumping to Bethel. Yeah, dude, he like, this thing is crushing buildings beneath its legs. And he looks down and he's like, Oh shit. We got to get to the dead people because otherwise they're going to hell. Like they got 30 minutes. There's no way they're going to get to the the dozens, maybe probably by the time this is done, like hundreds of people that are buried under rubble. Like there's just not enough manpower to dig them all out in 30 minutes from, from when they died. I mean, 
there's people going to hell and they're fucked. And I kind of like when I was thinking about this, I kind of see why Uther eventually had to convince himself that the people of Erb aren't really real because like this, this is June's first major disaster where there's lots of casualties that are unsavable from the hells. But Uther did this shit for like 40 years. He had to see all sorts of this kind of thing. And like, maybe the only way he could deal with the fact that like, because of me being in here, because of me having to have these adventures, who knows how many thousands of people now are dead and in the hells and tortured forever. And like, what, what other defense could you have to that psychologically than, okay, they they can't really be being tortured. Nobody here is really real. Right. And maybe that's, maybe that's what happened. I like the idea. I mean, like, so it's, it's motivated, motivated reasoning. He's horrified by this and he's like, there's a version of this where this isn't as horrifying, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. If they're not real, this isn't an, this isn't an emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can see that, but I, I feel like he had more reason. Um, like, I guess my reasoning is, I like having three reasons, but I don't think of two. So reason one, people on earth see horrible shit all the time. Some people go their whole lives going from one crisis to another, but they don't, they don't conclude that like, okay, there's no way this is real. At least most of them don't. Um, I think that ties nicely into the main thing that I, I think is what fucked with Uther, unless he did just come across some, you know, glitch in the matrix. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, it's like, wait, I'm the central character of a story. Like that, that that's the most unbelievable part of all of this. And like what all of you people are actually real. Like I'm, I'm a protagonist in a game. Like, and not just that in a game that my friend Juniper made, I know I can see the things he did. Right. Yeah, that exactly. That's, that adds more fuel to that. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so yeah, I can, I guess accept that somehow he made this hellscape and put me in it for reasons unknown. But the idea that he also made uh, 15 billion consciousnesses at the same time. No way. Mm. Maybe. That could be it. Yeah. I don't know why he, you know, we'll find out when we'll find out why he left and what he thought when we find him. But yeah. Uh, speaking, speaking of, of leaving, leaving. Yeah. yeah. I, I needed <laughs> to, damn Heschnell. I needed to pull this out. Heschnell was just like, Oh, I'm leaving the city. Uh, I'll regroup <laughs> with you guys later. If you survive, this isn't my fight. And June's like, I had nearly forgotten he was on comms with us. And I'm like, yeah, I forgot he existed because like this guy's has contributed nothing since he got here. Like right. I'm going to stay and, and guard the murder house. You guys do work. I'm going to guard this house. Well, and he just like elected to stay for as many weeks as they've been staying in Bethel. Like just as not part of the party, like Palada, right? Mm, He's just yeah. like, no, I'm going to just hang out. I read, I read the Harry Potter books. That was my contribution. Like, you know, <laughs> I think he was I, just enjoying the free rent and food. Well, me too. But I'm just amazed they put up with it. I mean, it's not like they don't have food <laughs> yeah. or room to spare, but like still pick up a mop and earn your supper. Like, <laughs> you know, no, Heshnel, if you want to come back to the house, you get out there, you start digging up dead bodies. Mm. like i'm sure he's got magic and i bet bethel has some awesome uh i mean i think any warder could see like skin magic right mm-hmm. and maybe you could see it through some some feet of rocks um so maybe she'll be really good at finding dead people huh fingers crossed yeah because the maybe. more they find the more they can save that's true yep maybe she she's got some finding abilities yeah i think that didn't Grax glasses work through some obstructions or was it no obstructions? I can't I, remember. 
I don't think they did. No, he, he has to have actual line of sight on stuff. That makes sense. Cause then you could just see through walls and that's kind of cheating. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. But, um, let's see. Uh, I think, so June's climbing up this thing and I think it gets to like what, and like the legs aren't legs as much as they're like multi knuckled fingers. Cause this oh. thing's gross. So yeah. he gets to like the first knuckle and is catching his breath. And then we get, uh, Oh yeah, this is awesome. Um, so he's like, all right, you guys do search and rescue. I'm going to keep climbing. Mm-hmm. And she says, all right, well, let me know. And she will leave killing Momrath to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard not to read that as bitterly sarcastic. Yeah. And I don't know if like, if, if it's bitter sarcasm as much as it is just like, fine. I fucking guess like, obviously you're going to find a way to get, you know, get up there and kill this giant thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, and she's just acknowledging, I, th- I think what's coming through is not so much sarcasm as just like, this is absurd and I believe it. Yeah. Right? I, I think June read it <laughs> as the bitter sarcasm, but you know, then we switch to her Amarillo's point of view and she's like, yep, this is the way life is because the, because of the DM and like, she's, she's just accepting of it. And this is my life. June now. <laughs> misread her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. And yeah. yeah, so yeah. Amarillo's POV. Course, of course, the dungeon master would have conspired to make the entire thing about June. Uh, it's his story above and beyond anyone else's. So he's going to down the thing. And yeah, I was just like, man, what a God, what a mindfuck still. But like Amaryllis, she's uh, she says in this particular case, setting herself on the object level course seemed as though it would pay narrative level dividends, meaning that she's um, not trying to down Momrath because she can't. She and Bethel can't. And she's thinking to herself, yeah, this is objectively the right thing to do because we can't take down um, Mumrath. But I also believe that it is narratively the right thing to do because Juniper is supposed to do it. And, uh, you know, she's right. And this is, again, an example of her thinking about everything in the narrative sense and what the DM is doing with June. And that is her being like ultra rational, ultra just really good at living in the universe that she finds herself living in. But also I, I was thinking, you know, he always assumes that the narrative is on June and the focus is always on him. And it is like 95, 98% of the time, but this is one of those cases where it's on her again. And she never thinks the narrative will be on her when June's not around. And I'm worried that like the fact that she's thinking in a narrative sense while the camera is on her is might fuck them. Um, unless maybe like this is a freebie for some reason, but I, I, I'm worried now. I mean, on the one hand, you just listed like 10 awesome things about her and you still don't like her. That's weird. Um, <laughs> you, still, you still don't trust her, I guess. Yeah, uh, well. But no, I, I, I and you're, you're the writer. I, I, I'm entirely, it's entirely possible I'm off the mark here, but I still don't know if being on camera is the same thing as being like in the narrative. Like I saw like examples, I don't know, like it, it, a a long story. Um, I'm trying to think of just like a completely pointless side thing that happened, like in Wheel of or yeah, Wheel of Time was going to be my go-to, but I know that's the eye rolly example because I use it every time. <laughs> but I, I might just say uh, Game of Thrones. Um, All right, what about Tom Bombadil from um from Lord of the Rings? That's probably was- a good example. Yeah, who was so not integral or important to anything that they completely wrote him all out of all the movies and nobody noticed. And frankly. Like they, they didn't have to write him out. They just had to like not include him. Right. Like 
it, yeah. it'd be one thing if they're like, oh yeah, we had to move a couple things around to exclude this character, but no, they just skip it and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. So like, was Tom Bombadil narratively important to the Lord of the Rings? Mm, I mean, I've never read the Lord of the Rings, so I can't answer this. Uh, I would assume not. Scott is the uh, Lord of the Rings expert too. He read the like the encyclopedia stories too, Silmarillion and all that. Cool. Um, I, I I don't know if he'd win in a contest with Stephen Colbert, but I think he's, he he mm. would be able to compete with him. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Scott was was Tom Bombadil crucial to this story, uh, or not? <laughs> no, no, that's that's not that's too strong of a question. Was he narratively important? Like he might have symbolized something or something. I don't know, but um, like I guess when I think narrative, I think like what is the story about? And so. I don't yeah. know if that like anyone who gets screen time actually like if they're what the story is about. They're just they happen to be in the story. Well, first of all, I want to preface this with saying like my being a writer has nothing to do with any of this because I don't know, man. I'm just looking at it as a reader right now, right? But you have created narratives. Uh, sure, sure. But what is like, a narrative? I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think in this case because the at least in my opinion one of the primary themes of. Uh, worth the candle is the idea of examining what is a narrative <laughs> and uh and what would it be like to live inside one that it seems Amaryllis's thinking about the narrative is Im- important to that theme like she's literally exploring that uh by with her commentary so i think it would count as part of the narrative when she's thinking about narrative stuff because that is one of the things that this work is exploring that sounds I, I can get on board with that so like when she was talking with bethel last week about um you know where you, the the handjob proposal and all that business like mm-hmm. that part didn't strike me as narratively important like i guess it showed that okay bethel and amaryllis might be having like a level up in their communication but mm-hmm. uh when she's talking about like meta stuff about the story that that does sound important right yeah um so in this particular case you're right like she's doing exactly what we said would get june killed um yes you know so june oh yeah no i I can take a nap here because narratively be super unsatisfying to kill me while i'm sleeping um Mm -hmm. which he won't do because he's not thinking in those terms but she she's smart enough i think not to like lean on that Mm mm-hmm but she, she's doing the other side of that, saying, okay, yeah, this is horseshit. I have no idea how he's going to do it, but somehow he'll figure it out. Yeah, but I mean, maybe it's okay for her to do it because she's not June? I think so. It, thinking, you know, one step further back narratively and, like, metatextually, how lame would it be if June got fucked over because one of his companions had a thought? <laughs> right? Yeah, that would be pretty fucked up. Oh, June, I was going to let you win this. Like, he dies and gets to see the DM. Yeah, you were going to win, but then Amaryllis was wondering, you know, about how you'd win because of narrative, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't stand by that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's safe for her to speculate all she wants to herself in her head. <laughs> you have won me over, sir. But that 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 is still narratively significant, you know, because th- it's it's on the cusp of like she can't talk to him about it because mm-hmm. that that crosses the line. I mean, it's it's, it's something that she will forever have to hold hidden from him and you know that's if they are to have a relationship in the future having things that you always have to hide from your partner is a great way to uh destroy a relationship yeah 
No one can have a normal relationship with Jun, though. I mean, he can read kind the like, souls of anyone he touches. Yeah. like Kind of like no I one mean, could have won't. a real relationship with Uther. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how could you? How how could he even try? I mean, well, apparently he did try, but, like, you know, after a while, you're like, okay, yeah, this feels fake. Like, mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh, as far as, like, whether who's right about if this is narrative stuff with Amaryllis, like, unless one of us can, you know, define narrative, give two examples, like... I, I don't quite know what the question is, but I do like that you keep raising it and we'll keep an eye on it because she keeps talking about it. So yeah, it, it remains important. It does. Well, moving on from that, I really enjoyed Bethel in this chapter. She she had, a, a, or in this uh, episode, these three chapters, she had a number of cool things. And one of the things was when she's like fuming at Mumrath for being big and having survived her wrath. And she's, they, they've lost two wishes already. And she's like, I want to kill it. This creature has affronted me. I just, I thought that was great. I really liked her. Yeah. I, I mean, it's textbook Bethel, but I mm. just was like, ah, too bad. So sad. I'm like <laughs> the one time something affronted her enough to actually warrant being killed in the last century, maybe something, you know, deserved it a hundred years ago, but, mm. um, you know, no, she, she can't actually exact her revenge because she's not powerful enough. Yeah. Well, and it it didn't do anything to affront her except survive her attack. Like she doesn't care about the people getting crushed, but she tried to kill it and it didn't die, and that is the affront. Oh yeah, it, you know it didn't bow to her. It didn't uh, recognize her dominance. Exactly. It was it was great. Did not respect her authority. Yeah, but then then Bethel immediately loses some points with me because Amaryllis is like, look, if you take a real hit, we could all die. But I was like. I would survive. <laughs> like, damn it, Bethel. Yeah. I was going to, you know, she, that that's Bethel going to Bethel. She's just going to talk like that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she doesn't keep fighting, I think she gets at least one of those points back. Um, you know, she, she says the thing, but she doesn't just keep doing, she doesn't go back into the fray. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So at least she, she holds back. Yep. Um, S- so Sorry. yeah, uh, Amy decides that they're going on rescue duty, or not decides, follows June's orders that they're going on rescue duty, goes to get the Army of Tongue, which is, you know, an entire society that they have living inside Bethel, who have been in the time chamber, so it's been years for them. She checks in with them once every year. They've never set foot outside of Bethel, and uh, I... I just, I sometimes forget about the scope of this project. It's not only do they have this entire small civilization living inside Bethel, but they are drastically changing their their society. Like the females, they're saying, uh, the females hadn't yet developed the ability to infect the males with their scent, which was bound to happen and would need to be treated as the highest crime that a tongue could commit, which is like the exact opposite of of outside of Bethel tongue society it's like this is just a massive huge ballsy project and it's really cool i like that it's it's paying dividends so quickly you know and the the time chamber is a cool uh hack for this you mm-hmm. know it's not the kind of thing that they, that they had to set in motion 20 years ago mm-hmm. um i don't know i can't remember how fast it goes but 20 years is not that long in the time chamber yeah wait yeah uh nine months was like an afternoon right Yes, and that was with them having to spin up and spin it down eight times, with each one of those taking, I think, 30 minutes? Yeah. 20 minutes? Mm. Something like that. I think 10 up, 10 down. But, um, yeah, so this has to have been 20 years or something by now. Um, Yeah. At at least a few years, yeah. That's wild. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, a few years would be a week. So uh, there was one one other thing I didn't put in the notes here that I meant to, which was uh, Bethel asks. She says, "I I suppose that the void artillery would pose too much risk to Juniper. Fen's bow has seven charges. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, we still don't know where the charges come from or how they get there, but that's fine. Um, but more importantly, that was charging. A yeah, well, it's a bummer. Yeah." Do you think the boat keeps charging without Fen, or is it just seven charges they have left forever now? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if it was like invested to her, right? Yeah. So, and if it was, and you kill the person it's invested to, it goes to somebody else, right? I uh, I guess it would be invested to her son now. That makes sense. That'd be kind of fun. There's a yeah. well, he's too young to do anything interesting with it, but. Is Wait, he? isn't he like a teenager? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Um, if it isn't, if it is a vested entad, it might not be. It might be just like one of the ones people can use, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, this is the kind of thing that, you know, somebody in the comments, which is like, I don't want to like let that be the motivation for writing rational fiction. Be mm-hmm. like, you know, someone in the, in the comment thread is going to ask. So I need to cut off every line of, you know, annoyance like that. Because I feel like that's not a good motivator, but mm-hmm. um, I would be curious. Like, wait a minute, why don't you hit it with one of those cool void nukes that we've only seen once? But mm-hmm. Amaryllis is right. Like the you know flesh is not like it's got too much of it. Yeah, and it's just too damn big. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could blow one of the legs off, but you know there are other ways to do that, and it's not clear how much that would help. So it um, does have literally dozens of legs. They said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's got novel magic from the dark end of the spectrum, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> oh shit! The so this chapter ends on like the coolest fucking note, where she calls up this army of tongue in front of her and says, "We have an emergency which needs manpower. Uh, you'll be working triage, carrying out simple orders under your own recognizance, especially in terms of setting up ad hoc command structures. The threat we're responding to is ongoing. There's danger out there." Do I have any volunteers? And every single tongue raised their hand. And like, first of all, that felt awesome. Uh, but also, that felt kind of evil because, like, isn't it sort of the dream of every evil dictator to have a fanatically loyal society trained to your exact specifications from birth, and they have all been taught to adore you? Yeah, it sounds great to me. Um. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think. Evil things might be evil even when they're great to you personally. Oh, yeah. I, I say it tongue-in-cheek. I mean, you know, just logistically, I wouldn't know how to feed an army. Um, you know, having having a minion sounds great. You know, having three or four, manageable. But a thousand? You know, where am I going to put you guys? Mm. You all are going to have to go get jobs and, you know, rent your own apartments. But, um, yeah, so, but but more seriously, uh, it's it's a fun note. It has this kind of sense of... Um, I keep using the word ominous. There's got to be a good, you know, synonym for that. But it's it has this kind of like heaviness to it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it it does mirror the clone army from Star Wars pretty well, and it kind of makes you worry. Like, I wonder if they're going to turn on them. But like, they live in Bethel. There's literally nothing they can do. Um, okay. you know, if they start plotting against them, well, she'll just kill them all. Or right. you know if they if they raise raise arms to a, to revolt she'll kill them all. Um, she could just crush the room they're in to the size of a dime. Like yeah, well I mean know. maybe they could get out of Bethel and then start a revolt. 
Yeah, I think that they would have to coordinate that we're all going to leave and, start, you know, plan our revolt out there without having ever said it while inside, right? Uh, if they're in the time chamber, we're still not sure if Bethel can see in it, right? She said she can't. I bet she can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would suspect she could just because she's fucking Bethel, but maybe she can't. It's possible. Um you know, she didn't let us know when we had our little interlude. She was annoyed that she couldn't read Raven's dreams because Raven doesn't sleep and she couldn't yeah. see inside the jar. But yeah. she didn't mention the time chamber. Maybe because she doesn't care about all those random NPCs that, you know, were growing over there. But uh, or because she literally can't see in there. But mm. yeah, I mean, I want to say it's only evil if they're not enjoying their lives. And, <laughs> you know, if you've shaped every aspect of their existence so that they'll enjoy whatever you give them. You know, it is it evil to make house elves? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these uh, things aren't as miserable as house elves, though. That's important. That is very important. Yeah it it reminds me again. I come back to this book because it just had so many cool ideas in it that I just ran across for the first time when I read it. But the Golden Age by John C. Wright. Uh, there was this one sort of like off-screen villain. She was just kind of mentioned. She didn't do anything in the movie, but. Uh, I think they called her, or in the book, I think they called her mother or something. Uh, but she created her own intelligences. Uh, I, it's a thing you could do in the book. It's far future. You can, you know, make make new humans, make new people. They don't necessarily have to be running on flesh. And uh, just kind of kept them permanently in a sort of mental and emotional crippled state where they were always childlike and always reliant on her because she wanted to have a lot of children and she wanted them to be children forever. And, uh, you know, they were, they were basically happy like kids are, but they would never grow up. And she was, uh, outcast from her society and given basically the worst punishment they could give her because they don't give the death penalty. Um, because, uh, like that society found it so abhorrent that she would just make these people who would never grow up and always be dependent on her. And, and I thought, I guess that is kind of gross and creepy, isn't it? Yeah, I you know, so to seriously answer your question about the the tongue here, like I have reservations, you know, like it's it's hard not to justify it because it is for the greater good. And the greater good here really is great enough to justify just about any atrocity. Um, mm. And they're not being, you know, evil about what they're doing. Yeah. But it's like, even if they were, you could you could paint a convincing argument to where it's like, you know, a good person should do that anyway. Right. Um, so, no, this is definitely morally gray. And, you know, mother from, what'd you call it? The golden age, the golden age. Like, yeah, I don't know how sapient these things got, but yeah, it's weird. Um, mm. I don't know. I, I, if they, if they didn't achieve any sapience, they were just like those robot dogs, you know, go nuts. But I wouldn't like, wonder which that, like, robot dogs. You, you can buy like pretend robot dogs. They're not oh, that real, interesting. Okay. Yet. Yeah. In real life. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. If, but if they, if they made good robot dogs, you know, um, yeah. It's hard to imagine how they could ever, you know, they could never be as good as real dogs, but because <laughs> real dogs are, are good personified, but, or oh. dogified. Um, oh, except for the bad dogs. There are no bad dogs. Oh shit. Okay. There, there, there are, I mean, that's a joke. Some, some dogs bite people and they, there are, there are some there, bad there dogs. Are, there yes. are dogs with unfortunate psychologies, just like people. There are no bad people. Okay. There are people who are unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> There, there's no bad houses. There's only houses that were subjected to traumatic experiences. Yeah, uh, it can be a crappy place to live. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to marry. Uh, 
you know, um, Bethel. Yeah, Bethel or live in her, right? <laughs> yeah. It's nothing personal. It's just you suck and you scare me. Um, <laughs> Especially since marrying Bethel means being eaten. Right. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Poor Ropey. Mm. R.I.P. Ropey. Yeah. Um, okay, so I don't know if you are in a position to remember any guesses you might have had about how he killed Momrath. I sort of doubt it. Uh, I mean, once Momrath showed up, I just kept reading uh, yeah. for quite a while. I, I mean, I assumed that what Amaryllis said was right, that there was going to be some kind of Shadow of the Colossus, like climb up it, cut its head off something kind of thing. But I mean, if it was that easy, Bethel could help, right? Now, granted, yes. narratively, she couldn't. But, you know, it would mean anyone with sufficient climbing ability, you know, I think what's weird, we don't have enough of like long detailed examples of the, of Uther's insane victories to know if they were the kinds of things that only Uther could do or if he's just the one who did them. Mm-hmm. A lot of them sound like just Utherian nonsense where only he could do it. Mm-hmm. But like, could anybody who climbs up here and finds the soft spot on this thing's head stab it? Like, or does it have to be June? Well, what is your guess? I, I'm 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 working on it as I ramble. I think <laughs> uh like it's not gonna like my, my first thought would be no, it's gonna have to be some some matter of like him using his new still and vibration magic, right? It'd be pretty disappointing if they weren't involved in some way. Yeah, he just got them. I mean they might help him shit. like you know, he could maybe arrest a fall or, you know I don't know if he can actually stop himself from falling if that counts as still magic. I can't remember everything he can do. Um but you know, he might he might do some of it, but that won't be like the key because there are better still and vibration mages on the ground. You know, yeah, yeah. There's like pros. If it was if it was that easy, Oberlin would have killed this thing already, right? Um, you know, it's it's possible the first thing it like the first leg that came down landed straight on his face. Like, but there there are other battle mages down there, mm-hmm. so it's got to be something unique to him. Mm-hmm. You know, so is it one of his entads? Um. Will he get up there and do some spirit? Oh, no, he tried doing spirit and soul magic on it, huh? Uh, yeah. He... Yes, he couldn't, like, get through the the skin, right? Yeah, so it's not, like, a unique to him spirit magic sort of thing. Um, I mean, the other thing that might have worked, I think it's too late because this thing's here, but, mm-hmm. uh, like, they had the thought, like, how do we stop this when there's the droning and stuff and something was going on? Shoot and- all the people. Shoot all of them was one idea, but really he just had to shoot a sufficient number of them. Like, well, yeah. If if one chorus uh, participant was enough, this thing would have been here a thousand years ago, right? So you know, he, I'm not sure what the critical mass is, but all he had to do was tip it the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably would have resulted in less loss of life than this thing coming here at all. That's true, but he didn't know how much less loss of life there would be until it got here. You know. It's like, do I kill hundreds of people right now to prevent something? I don't know. Maybe the something is not as bad as killing hundreds of people right now. Right. And let's be real. He would have been running through cutting heads off. And like before he could get enough, the thing would have shown up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that, that wouldn't have worked. Um, yeah. You know, and it sucks. He can't just like tattoo on Amaryllis's arm. Like, get out of here and get a revision mage. Right. Because... I- Oh, like, yeah, because signals, it, it, she'll forget there's no record. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, no record of Mom Wrath. I wonder if he doesn't mention that. Could he just say, hi, this is Juniper Smith. Go get a, a revision mage. Spend all our gold. It's super important. Meet me back at uh, Leo. Like, I'm sure that wouldn't work because that's the whole point of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Any like plan to try and circumvent the, the anti-memetic stuff wouldn't work. 
Right. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be that great of a power. Yeah. So I don't know. I think. Uh, I mean, he's he's going to hit it in the face with something, but I don't <laughs> feel like that's going to be sufficient. You know, may, maybe he'll climb it. Maybe he'll cut a hole into it and start cutting out its brain or something. Ooh. That's the kind of thing I could see him doing. Yeah. Okay. But then then there's the you know hundred story fall to the ground. Oh, but that's where the still magic might come in handy. Hey. hey. Okay. Or if it has a heart, he could vibration magic that. But uh, then again, still get any other vibration mage. Mm. Well, I could speculate all night, but there's only one way to find out. And that's to read the next four chapters. Oh, boy. So the next four chapters are 156 through 159. 156, Mumrath 2. 157, The Bird on the Fence. 158, OP. And (laughs) 159, The Dome Away from Home. Well, no no cookie for guessing what Momrath 2 is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, it's the only, it's got to be the first two-part chapter we've had, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of fun. I wonder why he broke it into two. Maybe a release schedule or he just thought it was a good breaking point. Um, but all right, so we got Momrath 2, Bird on the Fence. I don't know what to make of that one. OP. Uh, don't know what we're in for there, but I'm very, very excited. <laughs> Unless he's going to use super expectations and it doesn't stand for overpowered, but it stands for something else. And the dome away from home. The fun guess for that one, uh, you know, people call like your head the dome. Like, oh, he yeah. took a hit to the dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your home dome is your own head, right? Yeah, I, I could go with that. Yeah, so if you visit, so the dome away from home would be someone else's dome. Oh, so maybe you visit somebody else's brain. I have no idea, but I need to know. So. So First, that- I'm going to read that world-building uh, missing persons by Alexander Wales on his website. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. This is five, you know, six paragraphs. I can read this in, in a minute. So, all right. We'll yep. put this in the show notes. And then we'll all read the next few chapters. I'm stoked. Excellent. All righty. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, links to our Patreon are in the show notes. Um, please give us money. Also, you can <laughs> give money to Alexander Wales through his Patreon. Because why, Stephen? This is his game, and we are having an awesome time watching June kill this Colossus. <laughs> Hell yes, we are. All right. Christmas was a few days ago, so I hope everybody had a great holiday. And we will see you all next week. Have a happy, well, it'll be the new year when you hear this. So happy 2022, everybody. Yay. Yay. Bye. Later.